0: I'm Kate Adlington, Clinical Editor at the BMJ and this week I'm in Birmingham at the International Congress of the Royal College of Psychiatrists and I'm delighted to be joined by the President of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Professor Wendy Byrne, um, who is and has been a consultant old age psychiatrist working in Leeds for over 30 years and was Dean of the College for five years before succeeding Professor Simon Wesley as President almost exactly a year ago. So welcome, and thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy conference schedule um, to speak to me. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about what's been happening in your first year as president, a little bit about kind of key mental health topics that are being discussed this week at Congress that might be of interest to kind of some of our non-specialist listeners, um, and also perhaps something about the college's priorities going into the future. But first of all. Um, as it was your first Congress as president, I wanted to congratulate you on delivering your inaugural speech Thank yesterday, you. and extra congratulations because I know you were competing with um, a certain goal-riddled uh, England versus Panama yes. match. So, um, and it was actually wonderful. So the hall was filled. Um, when
1: I, when I wrote the talk, I started off by saying, thank you all for coming today. And I was really wondering if I was going to be speaking to an empty hall, but yeah. everybody was there. So
0: You did say that people could cheer if they noticed, yes, uh, they the, noticed the, goal. The, the goal, but they didn't uh, because it would have been quite an interruption with six goals. So, but, um, uh, but during your speech, you talked a little bit about the work you've been doing over the past year and it sounds like it's been a very busy year, um, Obviously, mental health issues anyway, haven't ever been far out of the the press. And the RC Psych has been very involved in commenting on those. Um, And I suppose what have been some of the highlights of sort of your over the past year of your first year as president? So um,
1: it's been a steep learning curve. So when I when I started the presidency, I was somebody who wasn't particularly interested in politics. Um, And it is a it is a political role. So the first part was um, a very quick induction to the world of politics. So I went to three party political conferences, um, where I learned a lot, I now understand that politics is about money and power, um, and influence. And I'm very interested in it mm-hmm. so I've learned that during the we we're, we're very um, we're very lucky in this um, in this country in that the government is really keen to engage with the royal colleges so not just me but all the other presidents um, and we have really good access to politicians and to NHS England um, we have frequent meetings with people who who make key decisions which um, I've done quite a lot of traveling this year and I've met presidents of other other colleges in other countries and they don't all have the opportunities that that we have so I'm really grateful for the politicians here for that, so I've done a lot of a lot of
0: liaising um, with them. and do you feel you kind of see benefits of that liaison so obviously recently there was the uh, yes. Announcement by Theresa May of the 3.4% yep. annual increase for the next five years yes. in funding and she specifically mentioned mental health. She did specifically mentioned mental
1: health, yeah, um, and, and we've worked really um, hard um, to influence in that direction. I have, I have to say as well, thanks to the presidents of the other college, so Um, i've been to various meetings where all the presidents have been there and it's not just me talking about mental health so the presence of other colleges bring that into the room as well and i think everybody's really aware that we haven't had our fair share Mm -hmm. there isn't parity of esteem and everybody's keen
0: that we should get that yeah and do you have a sense of kind of where what that will mean for services what that increase in funding will mean where it will go or at the moment is it all very kind of headline figures it's all up in the air at the the moment but we did
1: we were warned that this was likely to happen um so our policy team has been um working on it so we have got some suggestions already i think there's going to be a 10-year plan for the nhs um,
0: and we already have some suggestions for what that might look like um, for mental health and it's interesting that you say that it's a different model in other countries kind of that actually here the royal colleges do work much more closely and there is that kind of much more open dialogue i've spoken
1: to presidents who are um involved in legal action against their governments i've spoken to presidents who have to pay for access to any politician so we're very lucky here
0: yeah um you mentioned then uh lots of travel that uh, i imagine you're based in leeds are you Uh, Um, i live in
1: ilkley Uh, okay Moor, which is a lovely lovely place to live but Uh, yes i travel a lot
0: and you're still you're still working Yes. Week yeah, well, I managed
1: to do one clinical day um, a week. Mondays is my clinical day. Uh, it's been quite hard to cling on to that because inevitably really important things that come up on, on Mondays. But I am a frontline clinician. That's what I've always been. Um, the whole time I was dean, I continued with a full-time clinical service. Right. That's why people elected me. That's who I am. So I don't want to, yeah. to give it up. And What is that setting that you work in on that day? So I work in a memory clinic. I do one day in, yeah. a, in a memory clinic. Yeah. Um, and it's really helpful to actually be a frontline NHS worker so I can be sitting in a meeting with um, Jeremy Hunt and we're talking about IT and I say when I get to my clinic I have to get there half an hour before in order to get the computer switched up um, switched on warmed up I have to get the monitor in exactly the right position the monitor will only come on if it's in exactly the right position yeah. and then I have to log into a lot of different websites you'll know exactly I'm yeah, yeah, um, remembering yeah. the passwords for, yeah. for, for each one yeah. um, and it's really powerful to be able to say that it's even more powerful when you can talk about a patient mm-hmm. because um sometimes i'm in meetings where i'm the only person who actually sees patients mm-hmm. and that's really important because that's who we're here for that's what it's all about
0: yeah and again going back to the traveling is there what do you do during those hours on the train back and forth do you are you reading at the moment do you usually work? unfortunately, i'm
1: working yeah. <laughs> usually i'm on my laptop writing a talk or mm-hmm. or answering emails yeah. um I am at the moment reading there's a book just been published that I have a chapter in uh, called women's voices in psychiatry it's a collection of essays okay so uh, read it and find out what my struggles were at school with carrots okay
0: <laughs> that does sound interesting I won't ask you to expand more now um, no no you have to buy the book to find out okay, about the carrots, yeah. what happened <laughs> um so just thinking um Coming back to Congress, obviously that's on at the moment here in Birmingham, and the theme of the Congress is new horizons. Um, What new horizons are you hoping to explore during your time as president? Well, you'll know about
1: my interest in neuroscience. So we run the um, Gatsby Welcome Neuroscience Project. That started when I was dean. We're just coming to the end of the first phase of that. We're hoping there'll be a second phase. We've applied for a grant. We're just waiting to to hear back. Uh, But neuroscience is it's changing really rapidly so every year we have a a, um, we have a annual um, neuroscience spring conference and just between the last two the changes have been incredible Uh, so that that is going to change things in psychiatry so the people that we're training now this is this is directed towards trainees Mm -hmm. in the curriculum the people that we're training now are going to practice for 20 30 years and they will see changes in in their lifetime we'll start understanding The physical basis of some of the disorders that we treat which doesn't mean sometimes people think that means just medication and physical treatments it doesn't necessarily mean that it may still be that psychotherapy is actually the best way um, to get people better but we will start to understand things and that will
0: put us more on a par with other branches of medicine and that will help towards parity so you mentioned kind of obviously at the conference have been these advances year on year what what sort of level are we looking at is it kind of basic science lab based kind of animal studies or are you seeing kind of meaningful translation of that into sort of practice kind of or or, I don't know a lot of it a lot of it is animal studies and you'll
1: probably know about what we call the mini brains Mm -hmm. where you can take a patient with schizophrenia you can take some skin cells turn them into stem cells then into neurons and then if you put them in the right environment they'll start organising themselves into organoids that look like brains that's actually moving on a step now um, and they're starting to transplant those um, into mice so that's an interesting step Mm -hmm. but that will help us understand what goes wrong um, in the brain of a a patient with schizophrenia and then there's a lot of genetics work going on at the moment I think some of the next breakthroughs will actually be um, around genetics um, and they're starting to you probably know some of the some of the genetics that's going on they're starting to look at, at um at the inheritance of various illnesses and interestingly um there doesn't seem to be a don't know how to put this um it's not illness specific so f- families
0: with high prevalence of illnesses it tends to be more than one mm-hmm. um, which is interesting yeah. and and obviously the focus of that you mentioned is around training so presumably kind of increasing neuroscience in kind of medical student curricula, uh, cur- curricula yes. um, and then in sort of perhaps core training or specialty training yeah. areas um, so we've been looking at the
1: core training curriculum and the exam syllabus yeah. and trying to modernize it a bit and make sure that people under- and that is about the basics that's about understanding the basics yeah. so that when things happen um, people will be ready mm-hmm. there is a there is a bit of um there's a bit of a conflict because uh, I've become really interested in in mm-hmm. neuroscience but I don't have to learn the basics for an
0: exam yeah so there is a bit I was going to say how how does that then translate to because often it's consultants who are teaching and doing the training that yes. Are not going through that system where things are changing in terms of, uh, yeah. you know, the curricula or their So we identified that um, in the consultation phase of the um, project. We identified that as a problem. Mm-hmm. And now we
1: run something called Brain Camps and trainers and some of the people who come are higher trainees actually they can come along they can learn the latest neuroscience and also we have educationalists there and they can learn teaching methods so you'll have heard me talking about the play-doh brain brain, yeah the play-doh brain is is really good you watch a video of somebody making a play-doh brain and then you build one yourself and it really helps understand um how the different bits of the brain relate Mm. to each other and being um because i work in dementia now probably have more understanding of the brain than many psychiatrists but even so it was really useful for me and the first one I built wasn't very good at all but yeah. I've got better at it than <laughs> you it something you have to practice on a regular yeah, basis just a play-doh yeah. brain a week just yes. to yeah, keep, you'll keep, be a keep real things
0: expert. yeah um you mentioned that obviously in the area of dementia that kind of having that sort of more base level of neuroscience scientific understanding kind of it, can be applied more directly to kind of clinical work but yes. whereas maybe other specialties where there, there isn't at the moment such a link but hopefully this work might develop that in future um, there's some interesting work on explaining brain pathways to patients
1: so um we're working in collaboration with some people um, in in the states who are kind of ahead of us we're really almost copying their yeah. um, program and they have a website with some really interesting little videos on and there's one um, that you can use for patients with borderline personality disorder to explain to them what may, might be going on in their brain. Um, oh, and that's, uh, if you go on their website and have yeah. a look, uh, all you have to do is put, it's the um, National Neuro- Neuroscience Curriculum Initiative, mm. and all you have to do is put your email address. Because that's, so that's the thing as well, it's sort
0: of how will these changes, kind of this move towards more of a, you know, a neuroscientific focus actually affect you know, patients, it's, the the care that patients receive and their experience of, yeah. you know, investigations. Well, well, and patients, what patients
1: want to understand. So my patients with dementia and their carers, they want to understand what's happening in their brain. Mm. People, um, people who've been la- labeled as borderline personality disorder, often when they've experienced some trauma, want to understand what's happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think it will affect kind of, I suppose, the standing of psychiatry or where it how it interacts with other medical specialties so yes yeah I think so I think I think the
1: stigma is a lot around um, the lack of understanding. So um, many years ago, TB was a stigmatised illness because people didn't know the physical basis. Once there was a physical basis, the stigma started to go. I can actually remember when cancer was stigmatised, when I started as a medical student, um, it was really stigmatised and people didn't want to be told they had
0: cancer and they wouldn't speak about it. Yeah. So we, we move on. Yeah, and I think you can see how things have moved massively yes. since then. Um, and, but it's interesting because I, I went to a talk yesterday that was about um, new, neurosurgical interventions and a neurosurgeon was saying how he wonders whether research in neurosurgical techniques in movement disorders has progressed more quickly because just by the nature that neurosurgeons and neurologists are often kind of co-located, they're often in the same physical place in hospitals yes. together and it's just easier to do that, whereas there's probably, you know, there might be just as much or or there is potential research to be done in neurosurgery for mental health disorders. Yes. So obviously we sit with OCD, but you know, exploring more with mood disorders, but We've had a whole
1: problem with academic psychiatry in this country. Mm. So when I trained um, in Leeds, there were two professors who were both wonderful, um, but somehow the academic departments have kind of disintegrated. We don't have people doing PhDs. Mm. We don't have structures. We don't have post-doctorate students. Um, Good news is that the government is seeing research and mental health
0: as a priority and they want to work with us yeah so I think that's again, I think that's going to be a and why change do you in think that, that has happened then do you think it's you know partly a difficulty with recruitment so then if you haven't got enough train you know then you're naturally going to have fewer academic trainees is it that there hasn't been as much money there to do research projects or
1: And and I think some of it was the, um, so a lot of the psychiatry professors were very keen on teaching and then there was an emphasis in the universities to to get their money. They had to move away from teaching to
0: research. So I don't know if that was part Mm. of it. I don't really know what's happened. But at least we've got a
1: plan to tackle it. Yeah.
0: And recently um, I saw there was was the announcement that um, applications to core training was up by a third this Um, year. Appointments. So appointments, appointments. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the applications was the highest number
1: ever mm-hmm. um, and then the people we actually appointed to start in August was up by a third so hopefully we've we've turned the corner with recruitment mm-hmm. um, and I think the neuroscience projects probably helped mm-hmm. so America uh, they were the same five years ago they were the same as, as us they now have full recruitment mm-hmm. they've been running the project longer than us yeah, yeah. so hopefully that's part of it and I think the, the reduction of stigma as well that's helping mm-hmm.
0: Just thinking again, because one of the kind of uh, uh, the main model that the Royal College and, and most psychiatry kind of institutions work with these days is the biopsychosocial yes. model. And how I suppose at the moment, for all the reasons we talked about, we, you know, there's this push to emphasise neuroscience kind of yes. neurological sort of underlying neurocognitive neurobiological approaches how can you do that without kind of I suppose it being at the detriment of the psycho the social oh
1: I absolutely can't we can't lose those otherwise we're not psychiatrists anymore we'll, we'll become something different so they're they're really important um yeah the social determinants of mental mental illness we're starting to look at that a bit more um we're actually looking at social prescribing and we're looking to run a big conference on social prescribing um, in the spring and we're going to get to put together a college position statement on it because we think that's quite a good yeah. way forward. And, and the psychological will always be important. Our core trainees have to do, as you know, they have to do psychotherapy um, during their core training. We're also looking at Balance groups, you know, when doctors get together in in small groups and talk about the effect that patients have on them, and there's some of those going on in medical schools. Medical schools, we think that will build resilience, and we're looking at working with the new medical schools to try and get the balance groups embedded in those.
0: Yeah. So I suppose that's something around kind of well-being of trainees and staff, and kind of supporting not just trainees but all kind of members of the college. What? What? Yeah. What? Is the college position on that kind of how? How do you see the college's role in supporting the well-being of, of doctors and maybe not even just psychiatry doctors, but kind of looking across the profession and thinking about kind of mental health and well-being? Yeah,
1: so we've done a bit on that, but not enough. So we're looking to appoint somebody, um, associate registrar actually, probably going to be
0: called in well-being, mm-hmm. who will lead a big program of work on that. Mm. Um, but obviously, kind of balance group—that's a start. And yes. was was it the trainee? Um, produced a report on supported and
1: valued yeah. yes that was the psychiatric trainees committee produced that that's a really good um report yeah. and and if we can implement everything in that there's a session on it at, at congress if we can implement everything in that that will make a big difference and actually that's directed at some psychiatry trainees but it would be good for for all trainees um, and we had wendy reed here from hee yeah. she's really committed to improving things for trainees we're working really
0: closely with her and just uh, what is the session that you're most looking forward to attending at the Congress? Oh, that's you, a difficult one. <laughs> to push you. <laughs> What's the one that you would star and think okay, I, can't, I can't? So miss. I think the
1: one with Joanna Cannon. Okay. Because I just love Joanna Cannon. I love her books. Yeah. I think they're fantastic. And she's a lovely person. She's inspirational when she speaks. Yeah. So really looking
0: forward those to it. Plen- those are always really popular, aren't they? When yes. people come and kind of speak yeah. from their own experience. And there was an excellent talk yesterday from um, Sathnam Sangera, who's journalist and author of the book, The Boy with the Top Knot. And he spoke very frankly, again, it was very powerful, about his own personal experience of um, severe and enduring mental illness within his own family. And he was specifically talking about his father and sister who both have schizophrenia, which he's written about kind of at length previously. And the title of his talk was, Have Mental Health Awareness Campaigns Created More Problems Than They Have Solved? um and he argued that whilst noble in their intent um some sort of high profile mental health awareness campaigns that we've seen in recent years may have unintended unintended negative impacts um so for example he talked about um in the case of his family members who had schizophrenia for many years and you know he from his perspective unlikely to ever come off medication and the illness has a huge impact on their lives and he feels sometimes that sort of experience of severe and enduring mental illness gets a bit conflated or lost in kind of broader mental health campaigns that are talking about all mental health and, uh, you know, maybe minimises the effect that kind of severe mental health can have on people's lives. Um, I don't know. What- so, yeah, the, the, the campaigns are
1: about the less severe Mm. Um, end of the illness spectrum, but even a mild case of depression can ruin somebody's life if it if it's not treated. So um, and and if you and if you don't treat people, some of them will go on and and get much worse. So no, I I think mm. that we should be campaigning. Mm. Um, people who are ill should come forward and and be treated. And I don't think that takes away from the seriousness
0: of people like his relatives. Mm. And. But one of the things he did say, and I know that I've heard you talk about this before, is whilst awareness is a great first step, it... it, won't help those people unless it's kind of supported by yes we
1: need more we need more investment yeah and actually when i when i met when i met prince william he was worried about the campaign and he said "Oh, you are getting overwhelmed um by the people who are coming and asking for help but that has to be seen as a good thing i mean the last thing i want is people to not come forward Mm. because we can't help them we need Mm. to know who's there and who needs to be helped and then we need more resources so we can actually do
0: it yeah and sort of talking about the involvement of not just charities, but celebrities and mental health. And yes. um, I think you might have been the first president uh, at any sort of uh, international congress or royal co- uh, uh, Royal college conference to play a uh, rapper's uh, sort of rap music uh, yeah. in your inaugural address. So you played some of Kanye West's album yes. um, and notably related to the fact that he recently sort yeah. of revealed that he yes. uh, has bipolar disorder and, and, and you wrote a piece actually for the BMJ recently um, and that he has
1: huge reach and huge um, impact and that piece was picked up by the Daily Mail um, it kind of mentioned my children in it and they got an enormous response from all their friends who who, who read it what so did it say about your children i didn't see that it said was i trying to get free tickets for them <laughs> so <laughs> they were both of them were contacted by large numbers of friends saying a i didn't know your mum was famous <laughs> um and b if you do get a ticket free ticket can we come yeah. too but it just shows it reached out to a whole new yeah. section of the population via the daily mail that we wouldn't have done before which which has to be a good thing yeah. i, I
0: honestly believe that raising awareness is good yeah and that was the point you made that you know it's helping normalize and reduce stigma basically
1: yes anybody can get ill yeah it's not a weakness Mm -hmm. it's it's not a a character deficit it
0: can happen to any and you can be very rich and very famous and still become mentally ill Mm -hmm. um and if not celebrities so simon stevens recently um talked about the responsibility of social media as well and social media companies actually having a responsibility in sort of responding to and managing the emerging crisis in specifically child and adolescent mental yes. health. Um, do, do you think that's right? Has there been any kind of discussion around kind of the role of social media in mental health in general? Is that interesting? Yeah, that I think so they advantage. have a responsibility. I mean, we, we don't know the connection yet. What we really need is more research. So we
1: know that in young women, there are increasing rates of mental illness. That's the one section of the population where the rates are going up, which is really, really worrying. But what we don't know is why. Um, we think it might be social media. Um, and based on what I see and what my, my friends see, uh,
0: it has a huge influence, particularly on young women. But what we need is research. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed was that there Aren't many sessions on around substance use and misuse at the Congress? Um, but it's an area where there have been substantial cuts in recent years to yes. services. Um, and clearly there's been lots of commentary around kind of growing opioid crisis. Certainly, the BMJ have um, published lots on it and recently, um, re emphasized their call to for illicit drugs to be legalized, regulated, and taxed. Um, is this an area of interest for the college? Um,
1: it is an area of interest. I mean, because of the cuts to the services, we now have uh, less members working in addictions mm. that we did. And that may be reflected, probably the ones out there are too busy even to come to Congress. That may be why there aren't so many um, submissions. Mm. We don't, as a college, um, agree that, uh, with the legalisation. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the
0: college view Yeah, um,
1: for lots of reasons. Okay,
0: Recruit- <laughs> Recruitment is obviously... You know, it's a huge issue across medicine, but particularly has been an issue within psychiatry over recent years. We've mentioned that there are increases um, in sort of uh, appointments, uh, certainly at the trainee level, but there are still areas where there are shortages, and we've heard a lot, especially with child and adolescent uh, tra- uh, mental health trainees. Yeah, that's been a real problem area and we're really grateful to the government for having
1: for sorting out the um, Tier 2 visa issues. Do It'll make end? us a lot easier for us to recruit. Do you feel that that was an issue then? It was an issue, so yeah. we're really grateful to the government for sorting it, okay. listening to us and sorting it.
0: Okay. And recently you've also started a new scheme for CAMS trainees where there's a run-through training option. Yes, yeah.
1: so that came from Um, speaking to foundation trainees we knew that there were people who wanted a career with children but weren't really sure whether they wanted to work with physical health or mental health Um, paediatrics is a run-through program so you can definitely stay in one deanery for the whole of your training so that was influencing people that way so we're now piloting a cams run-through where um, you join as a core trainee but you will progress through um, into cams and become a cams consultant at the end of your training there is a break clause in the middle so if you discover that cams isn't for you you can then move to another specialty although you would have to apply for that um, in open competition
0: and would there be any um option or any future kind of interest in doing that for other specialties well as an old age psychiatrist i'm really keen to do it for
1: old age psychiatry but haven't been allowed to yet Uh we're talking about it
0: and as an old age psychiatrist just come back to dementia that it was obviously about four years ago there was kind of lots of political interest around the, the dementia targets yes what has been have you seen sort of a positive outcome? I've of seen a that? positive outcome
1: from from the dementia in that I do think it makes a difference to people um, having a diagnosis. If you've got a diagnosis of dementia, it opens the door to various services. It allows you to have medication and the medication isn't a cure, but having given it to thousands of patients now it does make a, a difference and it enables you to plan for the future so it's a good thing to get a diagnosis. The Getting um, a diagnosis for so many people has come at a cost though so what tends to happen now is people are diagnosed and then discharged, they're not followed up and also people with other illnesses, depression and, and psychosis have been a bit neglected so we really need um, an expansion of old age services so that we can um, fill those
0: gaps. Thanks very much for listening to the BMJ podcast, where I've been speaking to the president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Professor Wendy Byrne. You can access any of the articles I've mentioned today online at bmj.com and catch our podcast back catalogue on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now.